Rebecca of Studio Plum. And I'm Sean of Renstead Interiors. We're interior designers. Turned internet friends. Turned real life friends. Welcome to the Hot Young Designers Club podcast. We're not that hot. Or that young. Every week, we'll be spilling the tea on how a new generation of interior designers can run their businesses. Welcome Welcome to to the the club. club. Hi, Sean. What's up, Rebecca? Oh, just another round of sicknesses in my house, but at least I get to be home. Your spring spring break was cursed for your family, and then now the first week of summer break also cursed. You know why? Because we went out of town. Like, I think traveling is just not the first time we went out of town, and then Terry took Cecily out of town last week, so it seems like that's a little premature. Okay, but also, I'm just going to say... We went out of town several times to markets and were fine every time. And every time I thought it was going to happen, it's kids. Okay. You know what, Terry? (laughs) We like, Terry told me what she was doing on the playground. She likes to do monkey bars and she wants a good grip. Literally. Spit in her hands. Lick, licked her palms after being on the playground for a time. Is there anything grosser? Then licking petri. the palms That's of a, a human petri dish right there. Public park. I mean, so. the toilet is probably cleaner. Definitely. <laughs> That's so gross. Because there's like the daytime activities and the nighttime activities in oh, Balboa Park. Like they were in San Diego. Oh anyway, no. So okay. So yeah, that's fine. That's that's not good. I mean, there goes summer break. At least the first few weeks. I know. So I'm just locking myself in. <laughs> this is how, <laughs> is this how Hewitt, Howard Hughes felt? <laughs> I'm starting to think. <laughs> and this like episode is super timely because I have like three um, different proposed client proposals and processing like hundreds of orders. So it's a, it's, it's a lot. A lot of paperwork. I just realized I didn't um, very timely. Also, the insert hood for a client's kitchen never got ordered, and that project's supposed to start in July. So I, I sure hope it can get here in time for the rest of the project because <laughs> it's not, it was never ordered. So hopefully it's not on a 20 week back order. Oh, no. If anything, they're just going to have a gorgeous, shell of a hood but not not the exhaust insert inside of it until like they'll be the contractor will build without it yeah they'll have to build the frame and then not have but also like isn't that what a lot of people are having to do right now like refrigerators aren't showing up appliances aren't showing up like they're just having to build based off of install specs and hope that the spec books are accurate yeah because that's happened to me where yeah so that's why I normally don't like hammers swinging until everything is there because something's going to happen. That's my normal, like, I would prefer if everything is securely on its way or in storage or in a garage or with a contractor before we start ripping apart everything. Basically, ordering can feel like purgatory. And it's still a little bit 2020 out there. Yeah, so that doesn't make it like the most fun process. But it's necessary and it feels good to like, I don't know. I mean, that's the part where we really like get the payday, right? So the money's not yours. So that stuff's ordered and installed. Yeah. Okay, that's probably good to share with our listeners because the whole point of this episode was to talk about the procurement process. And probably good to clarify, like for you and me, and I feel like at most other designers, procurement doesn't begin until you've like got the approved proposal, the client wrote the check, and then you're moving into ordering the stuff that was in that proposal. Like that's where the procurement process begins. Mine doesn't begin until the check clears. <laughs> because you know, I've it can, you never know. Yeah. That's a, with, that is like anyone doing anything fraudulent, just like 
money market accounts don't transfer in time, like shit like Oh, that. it takes so. forever. Yeah, wires and Stripe transfers or however you get paid, Square transfer, whatever platform you're using, QuickBooks, they all have different money processing stuff. So it's like, yeah, we're no one's, I think we've said this before, you're not anyone's bank. Wait until everything clears before you start putting in orders because no. Wait until your money clears, and if the vendor's charging you, you better be charging your client 100%. Charge them 100. 100% of their buying price of the item, not just your cost for it, not some backdoor deal. No, like, no, yeah, either they can afford it or they can't, but you're not going to take any kind of risks around this stuff. Yeah. So that's where procurement is starting. Like you've already got all your money. Now you're sitting down to log in to your vendors, place your orders, contact your sales reps, like get all of that stuff submitted. That's the procurement process goes from there up until like for me, procurement is the, also the logistics of getting it to like our receiving warehouse. Yeah. I mean, it's procurement to me, it's procurement until we schedule the install date and the truck leaves the warehouse. Yeah. And then from for there, we're install, on install. install. Yeah. yeah. So with procurement, we're waiting, waiting, waiting until we get to the install date. Everything's on the truck. Like anything could happen. Stuff doesn't make it on the truck, whatever. That's still procurement management. Like Versus sourcing, which is like actually finding the product and deciding what the client likes and adding the fabric and fitting it in the room and all that. That's sourcing which is a whole nother episode it's a whole different thing yeah so we both have different processes around this and I think the main part for both of us was just like sort of the fear of getting into procurement as a designer when you're starting out and working with trade resources and the whole like shipping receiving freight delivery like all of that can feel overwhelming it can be really scary especially when you you know, were a adult buying furniture before you were an interior designer because you know what it's like to buy things through a retailer. So maybe you've bought a West Elm sofa or Pottery Barn or whatever, and you're like kind of trained on how that works from yeah. a consumer standpoint. And it's very it's like easy different. to know that it's easy to go. Oh, I know what to expect. Is yeah, freights included. Like even like West Elm when they try to when they charge like a white glove delivery fee people I used to work in West Elm you know in the store and people would freak out about their $200 white glove delivery which is nothing Uh, (laughs) so nothing delivery and and install for just a headboard can be $350 like right and there's just so much I guess just so much is baked into retail and that's what we're trained at as consumers And it's like unpacking that training to do this is a lot from the inside job, but then also explaining it to clients. Yes, 100% that. That just made me think of an article. (sighs) Okay, I can't remember. You guys, I'm like a terrible source for this right now, but the article was basically saying that like millennial lifestyles have been funded, like subsidized by big investment companies and firms for a long time. So like Uber used to be so cheap because the investors of Uber were getting it to be profitable. So they were willing to just acquire clients. And then- It was like proof of concept. Like Blue Apron, right? Like they were, all their investors were like, get it out there, give people coupons and freebies and all this stuff at a discounted price in order to get them hooked. And then we'll have everybody and then it will suddenly be profitable. But then the reality is now like your Uber ride to go two miles is now $50. And you're like, oh, I don't need to ride Uber anymore. And, and like goods are kind of- used to be called. Or yeah, yeah. yeah. And so like goods for us is kind of the same way. Like we don't have as designers the same ability to subsidize the way that a West Elm, a Crate and Barrel, I know whoever do when we're buying things for clients. Like we, we're not going to absorb as much as- a big retailer will be able to absorb like but the shipping, re- the freight, the this, the that. Like. But big retailers are absorbing, but also um, baking it in. Oh yeah. Because their margin the is so much like, bigger. There's no like, such thing as free shipping. Like that's like already in the price. Yes, exactly. And it's value engineered to fit that. Uh-huh. 
100 percent. why like a lot of trade sources trade retail or sorry let me just start over a lot <laughs> of trade vendors are should be a better quality because all of that's extracted but now right. you have to put it on view to clients and kind of talk about how the sausage is made and it's scary and weird and people are like what the hell um so yeah. there's a lot of education around that which is why we're going to talk about a little bit about the procurement guides that we both use and our next month's download but um the salesmanship was my biggest barrier to entry in the beginning mm-hmm. Because you have to like explain this whole foreign idea to a client, but you have to feel hundred percent confident that like, this is normal. This is what other designers are doing. This is how it works. And so that's why like this episode is here is like, this is normal. This is what other designers are doing. And there's like room to finesse it to what works for your business. But like in general, this is on the normal big steps. And you just have to be confident, even if you're not. So like there is some little bit of (laughs) swagger that you need to have and be like, oh yeah, so it goes to my receiver and blah, blah, blah. But you have to be able to explain it. Yes. But also like, this is part of the service. Like this, This I'm going to handle it all, but this is part of the service. Exactly, exactly. So what is that service? (laughs) For for me, the procurement process is placing all the orders, which sounds easy, but it's not. Making sure all the specifications of our orders line up with exactly what our client approved. Getting the fabric to the upholsterer. That's the custom fabric for stuff. Like that's a whole logistics portion. That's a big, that's, I think probably, I think that's a one of the biggest time sucks of ordering is like that initial waterfall of orders that need to get placed where you're ordering just like dozens of things at a time mm-hmm. and keeping track of the did whole I process do that? Of, did I like did I do that ADD moment yeah does this vendor need an emailed purchase order do some of them I just go online and put them in like it's great when they do just let you put them in online to be honest it's the best <laughs> or having to talk to your rep to get everything placed like that, that is a big front load effort of time. And we actually asked our Patreon listeners about that. Um, our Patreon subscribers, we asked them that in a poll before we were doing this episode to talk about what's like their biggest pain point in the process of procurement. Um, generally the feedback was that placing the orders was not the worst part <laughs> for them. But it was the tracking It's not orders. the most painful part, I guess. Right? It's just time consuming, right? Like, yeah. And then it was like tracking the orders and receiving or dealing with damages were tied in the middle. And then which, the most painful part was client communications, which is shocking to me. Do you think that has to do with like how disappointed clients are? Well, I mean, it or could like, be though telling clients what, what we were just saying like the whole procurement guide of it all like Mm. talking to them about how they have to pay freight and install and receiving costs separately yeah um how it works but then why we can't just quote it like as a flat rate like that can be confusing because i'm projecting here but like receiving damages to me that would be giving clients bad news about well I, i don't know what do I or both yeah it could be either so they could have answered it either way but I feel like a lot of people are nervous about selling this to a client and just I hear a lot that designers are just like it's just easier to do retail and take my 15 percent I mean easy but you're not making any money like go, hence going back to our last episode how designers make money <laughs> Right. You're not making any long-term revenue out of that. And I don't think it's easier right now. Like, I think there's a lot of charlatan behavior in some of these Mm -hmm. big retailers and they say shit. This has happened to me multiple times. Say it's in stock and it's not. Like I had a client who's a really great client disappointed when I ordered, I placed an order for some chairs and then immediately the company told me that they were not coming in. Mm Mm-hmm. 
So we had to reselect and then the client really loved them. So she did her own little research and found a retailer that said they had them. She actually called their customer service and they told her, oh yeah, we have them. And did they? And I said, I asked my rep, I'm like, do they actually hold inventory? Like, could they somehow have these? And they wouldn't give me any information. Mm. So I'm like, you know what? Why don't you just place that order? If they somehow don't get them in, you know, we'll reselect. And this is our backup plan. And then she wrote me yesterday. She's like, yep, they just called. So there's one, only one available. See? So yeah, that's the shadiness of all this. So, but... I think that this is totally the... If we're in control of the process, we can curate the whole process and act like a concierge. And so clients don't have to do but all we of that. also have visibility. So how I knew it wasn't going to happen was because the vendor said when I placed my order, they were two to four weeks out. Yeah. Then they said, actually, no, that's not happening. Correct. And then I looked on the retailer site and they said two to four weeks out, same information. So, you know, it's getting right, drop right, shipped right. from the vendor. And mm-hmm. I told the client that, but I didn't want to, I wanted, I liked them too. I wanted them. So I'm like, yeah, of course you picked them. Um, so anyway, moral of the story th- is we do know what we're talking about. I felt very internally vindicated knowing that I did have some inside information that was accurate. Yes. And the client knows, okay, she's not just blowing smoke. Like this is normal industry credibility wise. And I wasn't a shit about it. You. Like I, it kind of gave her like a little room to go do that. And now she's yeah, yeah. come back and trust me. So anyway. I feel like it's, it's part of this is the idea of you can handle this. You can manage it. You can do it. There is a will versus skill question of like, do you want to do this? Or, or is this a, you don't have the tools and techniques. And I think that any, almost anybody can manage this. Like, I don't necessarily turn all my orders over to like my design assistant. There are some like custom orders where I make sure I'm involved at every step of the process. Mm -hmm. But like, if it's literally ordering a lamp and the lamp says whatever it is on the website and we order directly with the vendor, like it's kind of hard to mess up the click here, add to cart, check out mentality versus like a custom order. Yeah. Yes. I mean, so I haven't outsourced it yet. And that does scare me because I like am nervous about my own like fallibility and humanity, you know, that could make a mistake with mm-hmm. the wrong thing, but um, or order the wrong finish. Like, exactly. oops, I ordered the all brass lamp instead size. of the black like, and brass. Like sometimes oops. like chandeliers are five arms or six arms. They kind of look the same. Yeah. Um, so right now for me, it's a combo. Cause I do have, I do have Marcos with me and we're, we're both placing orders. We usually blitz the orders like, okay, let's just sit down. We're going to power through them. We're both kind of looking over each other's shoulder, checking off the whole proposal, making sure we do all of it and get them input. And so that's helpful because we're both actively involved in it together. Will it always be that way? I don't, maybe not like once once there's a demonstrated ability that we avoid mistakes and as many mistakes as possible, like I don't necessarily need to be over the shoulder for everything. And I think there's like the bigger you are, the more room you have to absorb mistakes or resell mistakes or even store mistakes. Like, yeah. If you had a warehouse or a store or and the, like you could and just vendors take that are more wrong lamp and sell it. Um, and reps are like, especially if you're working with stuff that's like easy to get back to them via like a FedEx ship back process. Like, yeah, they'll probably most like good reputable vendors and your sales reps may work with you on something like, but they just don't want it to be a habit. So I think it's like volume makes the difference where they know, oh, this is one out of 20 orders where this has happened. Right. I think the biggest first step, if this is new to you, is deciding on a software or um whatever your project management program is aspect you could definitely do it from a spreadsheet but there's a lot of levers yeah it's probably not like i i still use ivy which is also now house pro i recognize that if you're trying to sign up right now you're basically signing up under house pro but i'm under the older program ivy i'll use 
refuse to transfer. I yeah, I'm like one of those like trailing grandfathered in holdouts that I'm just like not gonna do it because I feel like shortly I'm gonna move to studio designer. Like and you'll never be I'll never go back from your contract I'll... until you <laughs> cancel your bank card. Maybe. Oh, so I've heard. I'll just I be paying $59 a month. I'm also under a grandfathered payment. <laughs> oh, yeah. So I don't want to touch it until I know I'm ready to start moving. But yeah, it's one of those things where it's there, a big I will change. Like it'll be it's a, a big, big change. change. It It's connected to my QuickBooks, all my proposals my invoices, everything, like everything is tied in there. So truly your furniture proposals, not your exactly design proposals. Yeah. But like the, the buying process of like managing procurement, I have in a separate spreadsheet because there is, there is really no robust reporting available in Ivy natively that helps me keep, keep track of like when I bought it, what the order number is, when it's estimated to ship, like all of that is not kept in Ivy. And I know that your program with Studio Designer has a little bit more of a robust program built around the reporting for that stuff. Very much. So I really love Studio Designer. Studio Designer, if you're listening, we are We're a sponsor a bitch. We want to get paid too, okay? Like... Um, <laughs> no, I... Okay, so let me just say cautionary tale. I went through three other platforms that did not work out for me. Worst <laughs> idea ever. And then landed up to studio design. You should see like all the different books I had for yes. the past four years. It was not good. That's not so, easy. No, and it's like when you change years, like some things are in this year, the same project transfers over to the next year so I am in studio designer I am committed I have a bookkeeper that's dedicated to it as well she's actually trained me a lot um and it's it's very robust but once you learn where to enter things and how to extract reports Mm -hmm. it's a really great tool and there's so many things you can customize it's almost like I don't know. Every month I kind of like let myself learn something new, but not overwhelm myself. So like, you're just scratching the surface on some uh, stuff. Cause there's every, there's so much data that you put into it. So I can run a report for a specific client, um, everything that's been ordered, a full expediting record report on everything in my business that is in process or in a different, you know, place in the procurement status um yeah and honestly it's just the more you enter the more you can get out so when you get the acknowledgements from the company from the vendors you have to put them in you can get the estimated ship dates put that in which is different than the actual ship date which is different than the um actual receive date like all of those are different spots and i'm using all of that on a separate Google sheet, like an Excel sheet, basically that I have customized and built coding into. And like, I separately keep track of like, you have to, otherwise it's just like, <laughs> it's lost. It's in it's emails, in emails and so many emails. Yeah. yeah. And we have like a tab for every client and it also has space for us to add in like claim information or notes mm-hmm. about that. If something is damaged, like I think it's the only way. And then as as I've added to my team and done that, like it has made it easier to communicate that stuff to clients have to have because something. yeah, like it's all in one space. And when one person updates it, everybody sees it because it's in our Google drive. So now anybody could like uh, just the other day I said, what about those lamps? And then like I have now I have Monica and Marcos working with me. I don't think I've talked about Monica yet, but Monica joined our team as a studio assistant part-time. And now I can say, Monica, can you email the client and tell them that those will not be arriving? And she can go in and see it and like pull it from the sheet. Like that is, that's the part for the clients where I think they really go, oh, they do have their shit together over there because they know that nine out of 10 of these things are arriving by this date. And the one of them is back ordered further. Like that yeah. gives clients the confidence to know that we have our stuff together. We know what where their stuff is they know where they put their money. And right now when we have to have multiple install dates, 
I so like I can run a report that shows me where everything is in the expediting process and then I just decide okay here's it looks good like day. those chairs are going to come in in w- one week they probably won't be damaged because they're soft goods <laughs> so let's get the receiver to set an install date for three weeks out and then this is all yeah. the stuff that's going to be in it and then can tell the client um in studio designer, I can also, I have a custom report that I can, I have a client facing report so I can re- download their entire project and they aren't seeing any proprietary information or pricing. Right. The inside, the inside scoop isn't out there for them no. to see. So yes, yeah, step one is definitely like getting your tool and feeling committed to it. <laughs> Cause like, yeah. Sean's in that like hybrid state where he knows he's probably going to outgrow this and it's just going to take time, but he's only going to do it one time in his business where I did it five times. A couple times. times. (laughs) Yeah. And you'd likely, hopefully you don't have to do it too many times in your total career, like as you keep up leveling, but yeah, it's going to eat some of that time to transition between each program. Um, I feel like studio designer is a good start you can start there because you can just give it a little bit of info and get enough done but then you can just keep up leveling as you get more experienced and have more complicated needs that's really smart I think you and I are both ordering kind of that like our process is the same the program is a little bit different like we're but we're sticking to the same idea we both like to push a little bit of paper yeah when we're buying so like I have a, I still use a binder system mainly for the orders and all of that. And part of why I do that is because like, as I'm putting in orders, I'm getting copies of receipts, I'm getting confirmations, all of that. Like, yeah, it's going in the log, but I also appreciate having it like in a client project bolt So you print out all the invoices and acknowledgements and stuff. Yeah. And I like still stamp them with like a paid stamp and like the date and the, <laughs> the car, if it was paid, um, cause some of them I'll do ACH payment for goods. And then some of them are paid through the company Amex. So then I'm documenting where, because when I get to the end of the month, I have to make sure that the, like the Amex stuff that is for a client order, this is the only part where I'm kind of still kind of messy. I would prefer if all the client stuff that was being ordered was on a separate card. Right now they're all on the same card with other business expenses. So at the end of the month, I reconcile my Amex bill and the ones that are supposed to be paid for by clients, that money is paid from the client deposits I collected for all these goods, which are in a separate bank account. Yeah. How are your bank accounts set up? I have like a separate bank account for sales tax. I have a separate bank account for reserved markup revenue. I have a separate bank account for deposits. Basically that's the buying account. The procurement account is like, Mm -hmm. they give me their check and it all goes in there and I make purchases against that. So I don't accidentally spend it. And then I have my business operating account. Same. Yeah. I call mine, my furniture account. So I actually deposit everything into my operations account and then run a report out of studio and push the furniture um, money into that account and then sales account, sales tax account. And damn those Amex rewards, because like, honestly, a lot of those purchasing, it gives me a lot of rewards points. I know I'm scared to do, I I need to just get better before I go there. Cause I'm just like, you gotta have a, it's, it's a strategy. You have to know that you paid it and transferred it. Yes. and I already I have still, one of those, like just transferring from my operations to my furniture to make sure I covered yes. that transfer. And then that's an additional one. I'm not ready there. Yeah. Money, the money management strategy is totally separate and you got to get them all lined up. And it, you know, like there is a lot of double checking because you don't want to think, oh my God, why is there all this extra money, uh, you know, in this, in this account when my bookkeeper goes to like reconcile, they're like, oh, Hey, you have 10 grand extra. And then you're like, oh shoot, that's why my business account has my or, operations account has 10 grand extra or not or, enough. Oh shit, Four Hands is about to process an order and there's not enough there's money in the there, furniture right. account to cover it. So and I- And you're created, like, what transfer did I miss because of that? Like, where did that money go that I didn't move it around properly? So you got to watch it. 
So I just created you. You and Claire always make fun of me with our, my stamp life. So I print. Okay, so <laughs> I get the orders. I get it paid. I get the client money. I enter it all into Studio Designer, and then I print out. Then I turn them all. My proposals turn into POs. So purchase orders yeah. from each vendor. I print all my purchase orders out pretty much only. Um, and then a report that shows all of the orders of the whole project. So I just created this little stamp. I'm showing Sean. It's like six check boxes. It's got seven check boxes. Well, actually yeah. nine. So oh my like, God. <laughs> That's so many. So the client paid, which really means the client. I didn't have a lot of room, which really means got the, the client payment went through. Um, I actually placed ordered means I placed the order vendor paid means the vendor processed my payment because that happens immediately in some cases and it happens when it ships in other cases yes receiver log so I have my our receiver uses an excel spreadsheet or sheets online that I have to log all these into Uh, I have to log every order like PO item number. Oh my God. I didn't even think about that because mine, I send them, I basically send them our procurement log and I say, I highlight the stuff that's coming to them and and then they, they have their own form. They put it in, which is basically they're doing, they're doing this part for you, which is, yeah, exactly. Um, and then I have, then that's kind of like I'm done. And then I have like final freight which means did the final freight get calculated and billed to me yet again sometimes Uh, that happens immediately like lighting companies will add that immediately but some like I won't know until after it's been shipped and received exactly exactly Um, and then I received but then I put a little tiny checkbox on the bottom that says bank transfers sales tax and furniture so that's like did I make those transfers for this product yes exactly super smart to like follow the process every time because when I so I just did processed all these hundreds of orders or whatever maybe it was 50 um and my kid comes in here and asks me something about the iPad and I'm like, shit, did I just do that one? Or was I still on the last one? Like literally. So at least you have a step you can retreat to and then work forward again. Like Exactly. Like, okay, you yeah. ordered that one. Like, cause before I had this, I was like double checking and like, kept like going back and seeing, did that one go through or did And that I feels that? like time you're not going to be able to charge the client. Cause that's your bad. <laughs> no. And, and this is like my brain, like, leans towards ADD so I need to just see it and then I take these POs I do put it I'll put them in a binder but I probably won't look at them again because everything's I just, logged I just go back at the end when we're I'm doing final reconciliations of like you mentioned making sure that the freight got billed to the yeah. client appropriately because I I use a freight estimate in the proposal and they're yeah. going to get charged the actual same thing for receiving and delivery expenses I have an estimate in the proposal they pay actual. Right. And then I I need to add on there, make sure I invoice for the gratuity. I give the receivers when they bring everything and all of that, I have to make sure actually landed on an invoice when it got delivered. And I collect the sales tax at that point, because up until then, it's just a deposit for goods. You know, once they actually have the goods is when I've converted them to invoices. And that's when I can the best part of it is that's when I can actually let myself think about what I'm going to do with my portion of that markup revenue that I made. I don't touch any of that markup revenue for any other business purpose until yeah. the client has all their stuff and it's in good condition and everybody's happy and fa la la. Like <laughs> that's what I'm supposed to do, but I'm not doing that right now. So, and if you get crunched, like, yeah, you're going to, that's your money. That's we'll supposed to be your portion. But for me, I'm like trying to hold the line of, I don't do that until I move it over to the invoice. Like once it's been invoiced is when I can finally think about what I'm going to do with that money. And I can plan all I want for months and months while the orders are on their way. But like, it's not until See, I, I don't have like... to cover something. That's too long to wait right now. Like that feels extreme, but it's definitely a hard strategy. But I feel like you could do some partials on that. I mean, maybe it would be different if you could run different reports, but yeah, for um, me, it's so much easier to just say that that 
that money is there, but I'm only touching it once I know I don't have to cover damages or claims or repair costs or like, who knows what I'm going to have to accommodate. And then portions of that go into business savings to plan for taxes and to plan for rainy day. Like, I don't, I don't want to end up with someone's bad sofa down the road, not getting covered. Like if I'm the one who has to front the cash for it, that's what that markup revenue helps me with. So I don't get to do any of that until I can invoice it. That's, that's my process is I don't touch it until I invoice it. Yeah. That's how my bookkeeper works too with like the invoice, the client never really sees the invoice and that's been like a different like learning um, they work and they see and get pay me based on the proposal and the invoice, my bookkeeper will do the invoice, which closes out the project once everything's installed in a Got perfect it. world. I would do what you're saying, but I can't wait that long right now, <laughs> especially right now. So it's, um, it is a hard push to do it. I will say it, it does help. Like when, you know, I didn't already spend that and that money is there like to have something put aside is helpful. Something versus everything is more what I would want to (laughs) do. Yeah. Most of mine is built around the, most of mine is built off of like that prof. I'm not saying I'm an expert at it. And so um, hotties don't come asking me (laughs) all about it, but like it's built off of that profit first mentality. So I still, I think we're both using a lot of, we're using paper, we're tracking things. I think we're both tracking hourly time for clients on that. I am. Mm, I kind of have it in my flat fee right now. I think I'm going to line item it out in my next proposal. Um, So like every design is flat rate until you go to procurement and then it moves to hourly again yes it does not include procurement tracking yeah. and stuff because especially now that could take forever oh my god I know. you could be spending a long time on procurement I don't think it's that much I've I have heard of the flat rate designers who say oh we just take 20 percent of your goods and then we charge you that the only thing I never clarified like when lot. I heard designers saying that like to me, that sounds well, but also is it 20% based on cost of goods or is it 20% based on selling price of goods? Which is a big difference. And I keep, we keep running into this in different scenarios we discuss. And it's like, you're a revealing to the client what your costs are. If they backwards, if they know it's based on 20% and they backwards calculate, then they can figure it out. Well, aren't you communicating that to them or are you just doing it? So yeah. But or are you they, just saying your fee for this is this is... amount and you don't tell them it's 20%. You just say, this right. is your procurement fee. Yes, that would work. But yeah, 20% of the consumer customer's price is a lot. That seems too high. Oh, bless it, seems, it seems hard for me because it like, say, for example, you had $1,200, like, you know, that's $240 procurement costs. Like some things aren't going to cost me that much money to procure, like I won't be spending that much time on it. And then others, I'm going to spend a ton of time on it. So I don't know. Yeah, totally. I, and then it's like, is there damages? Are you dealing with something specific? I don't know. I mean, mostly, it might all come out in the wash. Exactly. Like it mostly might be my fine. philosophy is in that case, like some things are going to be a little bit more and some things are going to be a little bit less and it'll probably should balance out. I would hope but so. I'm not, you know, I'm not a detail person in that. I think the, the biggest things that we've learned how to explain to clients over the last couple of years has been really like digging in, like at some point we need to be upfront with clients about how we make how we make money. Number one, it's like, take out some of the mystery. So your clients know that there is a way for you to ethically make money and you're not hiding part of it. You don't have to tell them everything, but like we we're both kind of upfront with our clients of talking about, Hey, we make money by selling things. We're a retailer. It's been a journey for me to get there though. And it's so funny because now looking back and I still see designers talking about, I still see designers talking about this in the group 
boards that they are so sheepish about the fact that they've made money and like are being accused of doing something by marking a product but like literally I've never thought Target was doing something weird because they buy something at a lower cost and sell it. Right. That's a literal. Like, like the secrecy is actually what caused the mistrust. <laughs> the secrecy caused the problem. That's why the clients don't like this is they feel like you took advantage because you kept it secret. Like exactly. Don't give them, don't give away your trade secrets, but like tell them like, Hey, you know, like I'm a designer. I don't just make money off hourly fees. Like I also make money when I sell you goods, if that's the case. You can tell them that. And then you can also tell them like, you can tell them, hey, we sell at like some, every designer is different. Some are like, I only sell at MSRP. I do this plus a discount. I do cost plus something, whatever method I you're split picking. my profit, which I don't get that. I, I don't, don't love that. I don't like, but, I don't... but whatever you're doing, tell the client. Yeah. So there's no chance that they come back and say that you hid something, you weren't disclosing, you took advantage of them. You got commissions without talking about it. Like just whatever it is, make sure they know that you are making money because then there's no room for them to say you took advantage of them. Which is also helpful when you're saying, when you're talking about like freight or install or receiving, I don't make money off that. I'm passing the, my costs on to you. So Correct. then it's like, they can kind of know where the line is. Like I make money yes. on goods, but I'm not going to make money on freight, especially I'm not now. Making, I'm not making profit on a mover. I'm not making profit. On no, like, like I'm not adding that to that stuff. cost that you're already uncomfortable with because you don't actually have anything to show for it. Like, right. I mean, technically they do, but um, yeah. And I, since I've started using the procurement guide. <laughs> yes. Here. Um it's helped so much. And I literally have had multiple clients thank me for explaining. Yes. And sometimes it's a no, like that makes so much sense. Thank you for telling me, but like, this isn't for Not me right for me. now, yep. which is totally what you want them to tell you then before you get into contract. Exactly. Um, and then others are like, that makes so much sense. Thank you. And now that I'm using it more and more and have planned that are really um, savvy with and understand, then they're like, okay, so that client that I was telling you about that will try to buy that chair on her own. She was really upfront too. She's like, we can take that money and you know we'll buy something else with it. Or um, maybe you can get, they have designer discounts. You can take that. Like she was like offering me her coupon or whatever she found, Yeah, um, which was sweet. Like she's in it with me, you know, like, Right. Cause you're working on it together. So she knows like, oh wait, I'm a not taking, taking advantage of Rebecca, but Rebecca's yeah. not taking advantage of me either now. So I feel like the open dialogue makes it easy because I, I don't know. I, I understand that once you reach a really high echelon of clientele, yeah, you're, you're a multimillionaire client spending $10 million on a house in, you know, Reno, Nevada, whatever. Yeah. They probably, they don't want to know about your warehouse. They just want to know the stuff gets there. But clients and you in just general want to know that they're writing know. the check and paying the bill. Yeah, but like I'm not working at that level. Most of us probably listening, it's we're all at various stages. So most clients, I think, appreciate knowing here's our this is a what a receiving warehouse is. This is what they do, and this is why you why we have to work with them because I'm not gonna. I'm not opening all those boxes and assembling your furniture. I'm not getting it back and forth with a forklift. You, like. They need to hear well, how it works. The vendors like, won't even deliver it to your house or you have to pay extra because it's a pain in the ass for the vendors. Right. And like, let's talk about all the garbage. Like, oh my God, truckloads. So, so I think that's the part where you don't need to tell the client all those dirty pieces, but like, no, give I think them, you could. It depends give on what the, you know your client. I mean, I'm, I'm going to post a picture of a whole truckload full of trash one day for sure. But like, I think people need to know a little bit about how it's made to appreciate the fact that you're the one doing it all. You're going to arrange it all. And I think them understanding the, the services that you as like this concierge are providing helps them understand the value of having you do it of like, literally yeah. we do this all day. We're better at it, faster at it. Like we're, there's no client I know who's going to be better than we are at this especially when there's just so much of it. Like people haven't done it all at once. Mm -hmm. um, 
And I think that's what's helpful when you're really like outlining everything that, a, what does a receiver do? What does freight mean? Like, what is shipping? Like, yeah. And what I think that's the one little, like, maybe I'm just projecting, but the one little benefit of all the supply, supply chain news we've all been experiencing as people <laughs> kind of now know. Hopefully, they've it's been in the, attention. It's, it's somewhere near the surface to know that it's there. So there's actual bodies of humans that are picking things up and putting them in boxes and putting them on ships mm-hmm. and ships that need to be unloaded and, you know, all that part of it. Yeah. So it's not invisible. It's not like, where does my beef come from at the grocery store and no one knows anymore? Like, right. we do know where it's coming from more and more. And I think this is why we did take the energy to put it all down and like simple client facing terms in our procurement guides, because our welcome guide, like our investment guide doesn't really talk about all of this because it's, it's another giant piece that can't just be explained in one or two pages. Like yes. you need and space if you, to talk about it. And if you saw or re- and or received our client budgeting guide, there is a big line item of freight receiving install, I think. Yep. And that's a big number that is like a woe number probably for a lot of clients. So that's what this procurement guide is for, is to explain what all goes into it, why that's there. Yes. And these things kind of go hand in hand. And we, you and I, I think both have added into our design contract proposals spots where they, the client has to stop an initial that they read and received our procurement guide. Yes. Yeah. Cause I don't want anyone coming back saying what a a warehouse you never told me or like, and it's in the contract as well, but it's, this is like the pretty like marketing version that they'll actually possibly read and try to understand in plain language. Yeah. With like frequently asked questions and like, it makes it very easy to understand. Oh, okay. Let's start at the top. Why are we talking about this? This is how my designer makes money. Who are they buying from? Oh, trade vendors. Okay, now that's why we need a receiver. Now that's why they need shipping and receiving, shipping and freight fees. Now that's why I have to deal with like, oh, Rebecca and Sean will not be taking my retail purchases to their warehouse because heck no, like right. <laughs> that kind of stuff. Like that's important to talk about so they know if you do retail, it's on you then because it's going to be more time and energy for us as designers to manage it. Than, than it is for me to do go through trade sources. Especially when they're lying. <laughs> Liars. Liza Minnelli lies. I have so many clients, not so many, but I have a couple clients, like designer and call clients that have like postponed their, um, or decided not to purchase from me. And they're like, I'll just do this retail thing. Oh, look, it's in stock. It's coming in two weeks. And it's like literally, oh, it's got pushed another month. Like, don't talk and then to it- me. And then don't even tell Nelson. me that. Like, I then don't it's care. Nelson from The Simpsons where he goes, ha ha. Like, in the most polite and professional way possible, told you so. And yeah, I just give them or the hands up shrug emoji is my favorite. Like, yeah, what do you want me to do? Um, and I think that's so first part would be it's, I'm not going to say it's fun to do the procurement process. It's just, it's kind of the only way I feel like I can secure a quality project and the best possible client experience. So they're not like frustrated and angry and everything is like, I can pick what parts to hide and what parts to disclose to them and hopefully make their lives quieter and simpler as a result. And we truly are the best ones to do it out of anybody who's involved in any of our projects. We're going to be the best suited to do this. Yeah, and let, until you get like a full procurement team who, yeah, who are just gonna only do that. Yeah, Thursdays Both. are Thursdays are our procurement update day. That's when my design assistant reviews all of our procurement updates for everything, and then tells our clients what's going on. Like, it's easy at that point once everything's been placed, and you're just waiting on updates. Like. I don't feel like the bad guy who let them down anymore now that I'm not sending the email that their, you know, bench, <laughs> their bench is the, everything else will be installed in the spring, but their bench will be installed in the fall or something. I don't feel bad anymore. Like it's not me sending it. I have nothing to do with it. 
True. And just like it's nice. There's nothing we can do, guys. It's ordered. It's on its way. It'll be beautiful when it gets here. Yeah. And it's our job to just try to pick the best vendors so we know who we can trust, who have the best, you know, policies, who've helped, who are helpful and designer friendly. Yeah. Who have good reps. So anyway, I think, I think if you're not selling to the trade goods, you need to listen to this episode, which you already did. And last episode, how designers make money. Yes. Episode, um, episode 66? episode 66 but also episode 56 where we talked about secrets of mm. styling because we had a we had us and a few designers who talked about their purchasing and mostly around like accessories and lighter goods and that's where we talked a little bit about when we would buy stuff retail that would not really be part of sort of this like trade procurement process and so that's a good episode to go back to because we had some guest designers that joined us for that yeah, because it does make sense in that instance, especially when there's a likelihood of things getting returned. But um, yeah, I'm so, excited for you all to start doing this. Yeah, one, get procurement and two, get comfortable and confident with selling it. And our procurement guide is getting released on our to our Patreon, high level Patreon members in July. July and it also one. July 1st and it'll also be available for standalone purchase at a higher price on our um, website resources page so hotingdesignersclub.com forward slash resources and just to remind everyone if you are just starting or you didn't listen and you didn't catch the June download and it's past July or whatever if you sign up for the Patreon now you get a 50% off coupon for those independent download so basically it's like you it's like you joined when it first came out yes so you don't have to pay a higher price if you join the patreon we really thought it through so because we knew people would want to access the back catalog at some point when we have one (laughs) we're about to have some i know right now we're we're almost (laughs) in a back catalog of one but Mm -hmm. um yeah we didn't want it to feel punitive if you just are catching on so that's pretty fair Go, go be a certified or regulation hottie and you get the new downloads every month. Or if you need to go back, you get a free coupon. You get that 15% off, 50% off coupon code each month that you can use towards other downloads. And for now, I need to go back to my stamp life and place some more orders. Keep, keep placing those orders. Yeah. I'm going to go find out where that, what's going on with that insert hood I need to deal oh, with. Shit. So you better order that. <laughs> So, okay, until next time. Stay hot, designers. Thanks for joining this meeting of the Hot Young Designers Club podcast. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Check out the show notes there for links to things we talked about today. We are keeping the conversation going on Instagram, so don't forget to like, comment, and follow at Hot Young Designers Club. You can find Rebecca on Instagram at Studio Plum. And you can find Sean at Renstead Interiors. That's W-R-E-N-S-T-E-D.